Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. It's a great blessing to be back in the UK and see uh, lots of familiar faces, lots of new people. Thank God for that. And we appreciate Nigel and Carol Brown, a great gift to our fellowship. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Let's turn to Acts chapter 13. Believe God to help us. We just uh, finished our conference last week and um, very excited about what God's doing. I'm going to believe God to help us. Amen. I uh, love the story about a man. He was um, a pastor of a church called the Almighty God Tabernacle. And he was working in his church office late one Saturday night. He decided to call his wife just before he headed home. And he did. He called and it just rang and rang and rang. He was very surprised that she didn't pick it up. He just let it ring for a long time and she didn't answer. So it seemed a bit odd. He just hung up and finished a few more things in the office that he had to do. And then right before he left, he decided to try again. And this time she picked up right away. The pastor said, why didn't you answer the first time? And she said, this is the first time the phone has rung all night. And they kind of brushed it off as a fluke and the pastor drove home. They had their services Sunday morning, Sunday night. Monday morning, the pastor was back in his office and received a call from a man in the city and the man wanted to know why someone from this number called his house at 10 p.m. on Saturday night. So realizing what happened, the pastor explained that he had tried to call his wife and must have dialed the wrong number. He apologized for the inconvenience. The man let out a huge sigh. He said, well, let, you tell you, let me tell you my story. He said, Saturday night, I planned to commit suicide. And right before I did, I prayed. I said, God, if you are there and you don't want me to do this, give me a sign. And immediately my phone began to ring and I looked at the caller ID and to my astonishment, it said, Almighty God. He said, I was so freaked out, I couldn't answer it. <laughs> but I didn't kill myself either. And I'm calling now for help. How many of you know God can set up some appointments? And it may not happen just like that for all of us, but I believe this week, in this conference, God has scheduled some divine appointments I want to minister on that. One short verse, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Divine appointments. I'm going to look, first of all, that divine appointments are an undeniable reality. In our text, the church here, is busy with the clear task of evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. This is the early church. This is fresh off the Great Commission. 
They're praying, they're seeking God for his direction. And it says that the Holy Spirit said to them to separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And one of the key words in this scripture that caught my eye is separate. That word in the original means to set boundaries or to appoint. And God is making it very clear that I have some appointments and I want you to honor them, I want you to recognize them, and, and I have called these men to a specific work, and I am calling upon you now to do this. And the context is the Holy Spirit speaking. So we are dealing with what could only be called a divine appointment. So as I began to study the concept of a divine appointment, they're undeniable. They're all through the word of God in various forms. One would be a general operation of the events of life. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 6, very familiar portion of scripture. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. God has appointed these things. There's another use of this in the word of God, and that is time stamps of God's specific operation. It's interesting to, to, to ponder, why did God wait so long to send his son to die on the cross? Thousands of years, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 2, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That, that word due time in the original means at just the right time at the perfect time in human history, in the perfect circumstance, Christ was born and died and rose from the dead. We know that Jesus is coming back. Can you say amen? amen. But we know that there's a day and an hour. This is not random. This is something that is in God's calendar, and this is an example of a divine appointment. Another use of this term in the word of God is God orchestrated meetings between people. And one of the most famous is John chapter four where Jesus himself meets the woman at the well. He said, I must go through Samaria. He had an appointment and this woman was there and Christ speaks to her. She has a revelation of him and her testimony turns the entire city. Acts chapter 8, there's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 10, there's Peter. And the, the Italians, the Gentiles, receive the gospel. So these are divine appointments. There is also the idea of an encounter with God himself. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, some unrepentant people had provoked God to another level of confrontation. Amos 4.12 God says, this is what I will do to you, O Israel. Prepare to meet your God. That God will arrange divine appointments between him and individuals. This is what happened to Saul of Tarsus himself. We know that Jesus blinded him. We could say he knocked him off his high horse. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, and this is Jesus continuing to deal with a man, he said, it's very hard for you to kick against the goads, meaning God had been dealing with him. This was a divine appointment. 
A divine appointment can be a role that God chooses for people, 2 Timothy 1.11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. And then we know that divine appointment becomes a day of reckoning and accountability. Hebrews chapter 9, as it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. And Acts 17, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. So we have this undeniable reality that God has appointments in the word of God. So I'm gonna look secondly at certain people in certain places at certain times. I know we're all quoting Pastor Mitchell these days. And he used to be annoyed when people quoted him and he couldn't remember ever saying it. But I can assure you that uh, this is a Pastor Mitchell quote. And that is that the kingdom of God involves certain people at certain places at certain times. And we can make some mistakes on this subject in different extremes. One mistake is that people, much of which we see in the religious world, mistakenly believe that as long as they choose for salvation, that's all that really matters. That if a person gets saved and they get their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then it's not important where they go to church. It's not important whether or not they're involved. Just holding out and holding on till Jesus comes back. And the Bible says that that is a mistake. Because God sets people in the body. It is not a coincidence where I got saved. I was raised in upstate New York, Rochester, New York, and it's as if God literally picked us up, me and two of my friends, and dropped us into this little city called Prescott, Arizona. We literally found ourselves saying, what the heck are we doing here? What are we doing here? And within a week, we were all born again. And I always marvel, do you know how many churches there are between my front door in Rochester, New York, and Prescott, Arizona? That was a divine appointment. This is something that God decided, as for you, you're going to serve me right here. And I know that God can move people around, and I'm not trying to be absolute about this, but I'm going to tell you that you should be very mindful about where God wants you and what God wants you to do. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and God has appointed these in the church. And he mentions apostles and prophets, but he also mentions teachers. He also mentions in the same gift mix, helps and administrations. And you, you have been doing conferences for many, many years. You know, the Waltham Forest congregation knows very well that this isn't a one-man show or a two-man show or a 10-man show. Everybody in the church has a place in this. And God relies on that and, and God requires this and he knows exactly what he's doing when he forms the church and adds to the church daily those that are being saved because this is a very powerful, powerful reality. The church you are faithful to. And I trust you're faithful to church. That means to be reliable. 
Faithfulness is reliability. It means to be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that is the kingdom. And that's true whether it's somebody that's preaching or somebody that's ushering or somebody that's running the lights or the nursery or whatever it is. Every congregation represented here stands or falls on the understanding that there is a place for you to serve God. The will of God for your life is not anywhere. And it's not everywhere. It's somewhere. And if you're going to fulfill the divine appointment of your life, you need to be seeking that and valuing that. They are divine appointments. But on the other side of the extreme mistake you can make is the idea that somehow we do nothing until we get 100% confirmation of what God wants from us. You know, we're just fasting and praying, and we're fasting and praying, and a year later, we're still fasting and praying and haven't done anything about it. And one of the foundational premises of our fellowship is Pastor Mitchell reminding us we have our marching orders, and those orders were go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and in one sense, we all have a place in that, but in another sense, we don't have to hear another word. We don't have to hear anything else. We don't have to wait for an email or a text from heaven. We don't need an angel to appear in our bedroom. We just need to get busy reaching people for Jesus Christ. And what that looks like is where God has placed you, whatever church he has made it obvious or semi-obvious where you belong, get involved. Begin to do something. Begin to help. Begin to witness. Begin to... Help in the labors of the Great Commission. If you're not sure what to do, go tell somebody about Jesus. Go to your neighbor, go to the park, go to your school, go to where you work and evangelize. You want to find your ministry, find a need in the church and help. Because it's a lot easier to direct a moving vessel. And in our text, we see in this context, God is speaking more specifically, and that's exactly what happens. When we resolve these things, that it matters where I am, I'm going to be reliable, I'm going to get involved, I'm going to help, God begins to speak more specifically certain people, Barnabas and Saul, at a certain time now, and as they went, God directed them to certain places. I remember when I was a young disciple and Pastor Mitchell invited me to be the door director. The reason we called it the door director was because our music scene was called The Door. And so we, you know, we were, I was the door director or outreach director, if you want to call it that. And, you know, we had two conferences a year, so that's a, that's a short tenure And I remember driving around in the van with Pastor Mitchell after breakfast and the inevitable question came. He said, Tom, he says, a conference is coming up and uh, do you have a burden for anywhere in particular? And to be honest with you, I didn't. I, I wish I did. I felt like I wasn't very spiritual that I didn't. I just felt like a rookie bull rider inside the wooden little closet on top of the angry bull. They've already tied my glove to the horn. I can't get out of this. 
At any minute, they're going to open that door, and I'm going to ride this thing. And I wanted to ride it, but I just, I didn't have a city. So I embarrassingly said to Pastor Mitchell, you know, Pastor, I know I'm called to preach. I just don't really have clear direction. Is, is that okay? I was so relieved when he said yes. He said, Tom, that's actually quite common. He said, we, we know that we need to go into all the world, and, and I like to work with a burden if it's not like Pluto or Mars, you know, <laughs> something realistic. I like to, to, to see if I can work with a burden. He said, but if that's not the case, don't worry. We'll pray, and we'll believe God, and a need opened up, and I went to Las Vegas, Nevada as my first posting, and he said, over the years, God will begin to make it more clear to you, and that's exactly what happened. As a matter of fact, God began to give me great direction. He made it unmistakable at times that I want you to go here. And, 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 and the two most prominent were Kenya and Perth, Western Australia. And so there, when you seek and when you're moving and when you are open and you're faithful, then God begins to put things in place where and when and what to do. It's a divine appointment. Conference is filled with this dynamic. There's people that came to conference. You had no intention. You have no intention of doing anything other than going home and going back to your predictable comfort zone. And God's going to talk to you this week. There's pastors. You've already decided that you will or will not plant a church. I'm, I'm really excited to see what God's doing in my son-in-law and daughter, Jake and Jennifer Snyder in 29 Palms, California, having just breakaway revival. It's very exciting. He told me that he went to this last conference and already decided that the outreach director, and this is all new to him, was not ready to get sent out. I think he even spoke to his pastor about it. And, and, uh, but during the conference, he said, Tuesday night, God spoke to him, separate unto me. And so he was like, wow. And went to Pastor Mitchell and said, I just think I need to maybe send this guy out this week. And there was a need, and they've already planted their first church. And I'm going to tell you, God has a right to speak into our plans. God has a right. And if we are open to this, and if we seek him, I want to tell you that God is going to bring some direction this week. Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That means we're moving. We're, we're committed to moving. We're committed to doing something. Some people will obey to stay. Other people will obey to go. People will obey to give. But God is able to direct people that understand the mission. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. So what does that mean? It means we're not walking on thin ice, thank God. We're not perfect. We don't always get it right, but we want to. Can you say amen? We are seeking him. We know the marching orders. We know what we're called to do in the big picture. If you want the will of God in the big picture, you do the will of God. Meaning you do what you know is the will of God. 
And as you do that, God can help. God can, can minister. But I want to say that at the same time, God does not suffer disobedience forever. Rank disobedience, stubbornness and pride, and the withholding of self, and the withholding of our surrender, God does not suffer that forever. Because the Bible also talks about the space of repentance. The Bible says he will not always strive with a man. And Paul said, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Psalm 75 and 2, when I select an appointed time, I will judge uprightly. And Corinthians says we must all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. So our conference was divine appointments and we picked on our flyer this picture of a train speeding by. This thing was flying. I looked at this train, man, and I thought, you know, if I have to put that on the wall and stare at it all week, I'm going to get vertigo. So I said to my assistant, we need to slow the train down, man. It's a flying to have the flying train on the flyer, but for the, for the wall, let's, let's slow it down. And it was cool because it was, the train stopped. Divine appointments and the door was open. It was perfect. It stopped at the Gallup station. And you need to get on board. You know, the, the speeding train of God's amazing plan for your life, it stopped at the station today. Every person in this room needs to decide, am I on the train or do I need to get on the train? What does God want me to do? Because he has an appointment for your life. I want to close then with the privilege and the power. It's amazing to consider in our text. This is literally, this marks the beginning of God's divine appointment for the man we would come to know and love as the Apostle Paul. Arguably the most powerful missionary in history. And I, and I got to thinking, you know, everyone that ever did anything for God that you've admired, maybe you've read biographies of missionaries, anyone that's ever made an impact, even in our fellowship, even Pastor Wayman Mitchell, they all had a beginning point. They all started somewhere. And this is what we're reading here. This is the beginning of the Apostle Paul's divine appointments. Separate unto me. Now separate unto me. To the work that I have called him to. Don't miss this. Whatever you do, don't let conference become rote. Do not miss this. Paul always considered it a privilege. He always considered himself either the worst sinner or the least of the apostles. 
He actually considered himself both. Ephesians 3.8, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15, for I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But the real exciting part of this is that responding to the divine appointment released a supernatural power beyond human ability. Verse four, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. That's powerful. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but when we send out workers and when we stand them up on Thursday or Friday and the leaders come and lay hands on them, a number of powerful things are happening there. One of them is that we are giving them sanction. We are ordaining them. Can you say amen? They are carrying the sanction of their pastor and their congregation and this fellowship. But beyond that, it says, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. See, we're sending them out, but really, our confidence is that it's the Holy Spirit that's sending them out. Because we fasted and we pray and we ask God. Can you say amen? And the Holy Spirit speaks to couples and the Holy Spirit speaks to pastors. And that is a powerful dynamic. If you read down verse six through eight, there's a political leader in one of the communities where they went. And this man was switched on and he was very interested in the gospel. And yet there was a a man involved in sorcery in that city and was trying to turn this man's brain. And, And Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, turned and rebuked this this witch. And, and, and he was struck with blindness. I think that's a very scriptural example of sending back the curse because that witch was trying to blind the mind of this counselor and Paul rebuked him and blindness came upon this man. What about you? I kind of like that. Because there's going to be resistance. I was telling the, uh, the Gallup conference about a city counselor that who was giving us favor and we had favor with him and he would come to all our Christmas uh, plays in the middle of December there in Perth we'd do this thing out in the parking lot 500 people and this guy came and had great favor with him and he came down with cancer and he had to resign from the council and he still came anyway even though he was not the city counselor and he didn't get a formal invitation from us and He just came and I just, I went up to him and I just said, can I pray for you? And I just said, you foul spirit of cancer, you come out of him in the name of Jesus. Well, within the next year, he testified to uh, Glenn Plummer. He said, you know what? That Tom Payne laid his hands on me, (laughs) cursed the cancer. He said, my doctor just pronounced me cancer free. (laughs) Hallelujah. He got back on the council, and for the last three years that I was there, he would come to our Christmas thing and give his testimony. He wasn't a Christian yet, but he was giving testimony that Jesus Christ healed him from cancer. We just got to Gallup, and within the first year, man, all of a sudden, this thing began to rock and roll. We had 
We had an outreach interrupted by a city official. We had our, our, uh, our music scene uh, challenge downtown. Our building project got shut down. And I'm telling you, we went to prayer. And I'm going to preach on this, I think, later in the week. But I began to file some lawsuits in heaven. I'm going to tell you, that's a powerful principle. And just about a month ago, within the course of six weeks, two very prominent city officials that were no doubt a part of this resigned. We've got favor, and things have changed, and our building project's back on. So there's power. When you're in your divine appointment, when you carry the sanction of your leadership church, and you are sent out by the Holy Spirit... There is a dimension of God. And the key to release is the posture of the early church. They knew their marching orders. They wanted to fulfill them. They fasted and prayed and sought God for direction. And God took over. You know, Pastor Greg's been doing memorial stones. And he, um, he, he highlighted a Nairobi story as Sunday morning. But I want to give you another Nairobi story. And the reason I mentioned this in Gallup Conference is because it was the Gallup Church in 1987 that sent the first missionary to Nairobi, which is actually the first missionary to Africa in our fellowship, and pioneered a church in Nairobi. So in 1997 to 2001, I had the privilege of pastoring this church. If you want to put that first picture up, um, this is the tent in Nairobi. And that was the church when I took it. While I was there, a 20-year-old interpreter married a young lady and said he was called to preach. And as we were beginning to disciple and send out churches, we had two conferences a year, I asked this young man to be the outreach director, if you want to put picture number two, the young couple. And so the problem was that uh, this young man had a great job. He had a great job. He worked for a white British lawyer. He was very good with English, very intelligent. And he was making two times the amount that I paid my outreach director. Now, we have some Africans here. And you know how that works. In Africa, you never go backwards, do you? You just don't have a file for that, right? You get what you can, you can what you get, and you sit on the lid, right? <laughs> you never go backwards in Africa. And I, this is what we paid. It wasn't slave wages. It was actually not a bad wage for the average African 20-something, but it was one half of what he was used to making. And I'll never forget, you know, as I'm, I'm laying this out to them, man, they were squirming. They were squirming, squirming. I told Pastor McCarthy, I said, I have to confess, I kind of got a perverse pleasure out of watching it. Because <laughs> I sacrificed to go to Kenya. I was quite happy, thank you very much, in Farmington, New Mexico. Very happy there. I, I could have spent the rest of my life there. And God told me to pick up my cross and get my rear end to Kenya. So I did. And I, was, I never regretted it, I wasn't bitter. But if I can sacrifice, surely you can sacrifice. I'm not even saying that to him, but in my mind, I'm just saying, okay. Like, whatever. You know, I just, you know, let them twist, impaled on the horns of dilemma. 
But finally, I could see that they weren't pulling out of this. And so I, I just said, you know what? No problem. Look, and, and I wasn't being vindictive or sarcastic. I just, I said, you know what, brother? Why, you know, that's fine. Why don't we just hit, put, hit the pause button? This would be a big adjustment for you. And you can keep your job. I'll get, I'll get somebody else. And I said, I'll send you out someday. You know, we could probably send you out to another part of Nairobi and you could keep your job. And then I did get a little sarcastic. I, I just kind of smiled and said, let's just hope your destiny doesn't extend beyond the borders of Nairobi. And I let him off the hook. And I brought in another couple. But within a couple of weeks of that, there was an incident called the Nairobi Embassy bombing. I don't know if you're old enough to remember this. But the same terrorist group and terrorist that eventually, you know, brought down the Twin Towers set off a bomb in the Nairobi Embassy. The wife of this couple, her testimony was that she was walking within a quarter mile of the embassy when the bomb went off. She said the concussion knocked her on her back and she was deaf for 15 minutes. She was trampled by people trying to get away. It was like a, a silent movie. She saw vehicles tumbling like dice. She said, I saw pieces of sheet glass blown out of the windows, severing people's limbs. She saw all kinds of death. And she came and said, I got my heart right with God, pasta. And right after that, within, you know, within a few days, both her and her husband came back to me weeping. Pastor, we are so sorry. If you would ever give us another chance, we will do anything. We want to obey God. You, whatever you pay us, we will do what God wants us to do. It does not matter what it costs us. Would you please forgive us? And so I said, of course. And we sent out the couple that was the outreach director. We brought this couple on, and it was one half of his salary. And they said, we will make the adjustments. And immediately there was a dimension of God on this couple. They helped me to build the building. If you want to put the picture three there. We built a building and God did a miracle. I sent this couple out. They pastored two of our leadership missionary churches. This couple is Patrick and Caroline Yamai. If you want to go to the next picture. He is now the national leader in Nairobi. Hallelujah. The privilege that they experience now, they get to come to the United States every year for leadership and conference, which is the dream of every Kenyan. He's preached in South Africa, Zambia, and Holland. But a couple weeks before the Gallup conference, which was just last week, I got an email from Ser Ser uh, Sergei Golubev in Russia. Patrick 
And one of his disciples, George Mbugwa, who was really a street kid who got saved when we were there and is now a leadership pastor, were invited to Russia to be the main speakers at the Russian conference a few weeks ago. You want to look at these pictures? Go to the next one. You could run through these pictures. Go to the next one. There's Patrick. There's George Mbugwa. Black Christian missionaries preaching to white former communist atheists. <laughs> That is too cool, man. He could have missed that. Jesus said, and this is almost insane, if you try to save your life, meaning not like save, he's saying if you feel as if you have to protect your life from the will of God, you're gonna lose it. But if you will surrender like you're supposed to. Romans 12 says, we, we give our lives a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. The only reasonable, intelligent, rational thing to do in light of what Christ did for us is to hand our lives over to him like a blank check. Jesus said, if you will lose your life or surrender your life for my sake in the gospel, you'll find it, and you will have the best life possible. How will you respond tonight to your divine appointments? I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.